the uh, closest I have ever come to walking out on a live performance was when I saw the Pacific Northwest Ballet do Balanchine's version of this story, The Prodigal Son. Some of you have heard this story from me before because it is still seared into my bones. I don't know. Maybe George Balanchine had had a bad experience with church. Maybe he had had a bad experience with his own father. Whatever it was, Balanchine so misrepresented the message of this story that I almost could not sit through it. The changes infuriated me because they reinforced the misrepresentation of God that Jesus was telling the story to change. If a person's only exposure to this parable was Balanchine's version, they would come away with the exact opposite image of God than Jesus revealed. And they would walk away without asking the question that Jesus' version of the story leaves with us. Jesus tells us the story for two reasons. To reveal God's scandalously lavish love for even those of us who don't in any way deserve it. And to challenge those who realize this is the way God is to decide what we think about that a God that is this way. Important to all this is the picture that Jesus creates of the younger son of the two. Everything that the younger son does in the opening of this story reveals that he is a selfish brat, and he's very conscious of that truth. His first words are, Father, give me. And that pretty much sums up his whole attitude. He wants his dad to give him his share of the inheritance now, before his dad is dead. And as soon as he gets it, he is gone. Verse 13. Uh, Not long after the father gave him that, the younger son got together all he had and set out for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He squandered his wealth in wild living. This is vital. This person is 100% responsible for, for losing everything he had. In Balanchine's version, he actually is seduced by the siren and, and is actually robbed. That is not the way it happened at all. That, is, that blows the point. The point is this guy did nothing to deserve anything but what he got, which was complete, utter brokenness and uh, whatever. I can't forget. I'm I'm totally blanking on a word. Um, But anyway, he gets what he deserves. This man is a drag on society. Uh, In the words of much language today, he is a taker. And finally, when he is so low that he would eat pig slop if the owner would let him, 
He thinks to go home. He knows that he was horrible to his father, and he knows that his father would be totally within his father's rights to completely turn him away and give him absolutely nothing, not even a job on the farm. But he is so broken that that's the only thing he can think to do, and all he wants is a position as a day laborer on his, his father's estate. Um, We hear in verses 18 and 19, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And what does the father do? The father makes a fool of himself. For the time, he was literally making a fool of himself by welcoming back this undeserving child. He sees him in the distance, on the horizon, while he was still a long way off, and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son. Yes, this is my filled with compassion is my favorite Greek word, esplignithe. His guts tore open with compassion for his child and he ran to his son and he wraps him up in this big bear hug and he's kissing him and he starts to tell the servants to to get going on the celebration let's have a feast and celebrate there are so many things that this father could have done that would have been so much more responsible there are so many things that he could have said he could have said well i've hoped you've learned your lesson Or, okay, well, you can come back, but we're going to start you on a payment plan to make up for all that you squandered with your wild living. But no, the father smothers him with love, throws an expensive party. And this is the image that Jesus creates in order to reveal to us the essence of of God. This is what God is like, Jesus wants us to understand. Ridiculously forgiving. God lavishes love on God, all God's children, even those of us who don't deserve it in any way. But not everyone wants a God who is so quick to forgive and to embrace irresponsible siblings. Jesus introduces us to the older brother, who is angry at his younger brother's reception. In fact, his resentment is so strong that he won't even recognize his own relationship to his brother. When he asks the servant what is happening in the house, the servant says, oh, and the emphasis on your brother has come home and your father is celebrating this thing. But the older brother refuses to go in and celebrate. And then when his father comes out to him, the older brother says in verse 30, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat and get... Notice, when this son of yours, not when my brother comes home, this son of yours. The brother is completely disowning his own relationship. And so 
in response to his older, uh, actually, uh, um, his older brother clearly does not believe that the younger brother is deserving of such generosity, is worthy of such generosity. William Barclay has a pretty severe take on the type of person that this is describing. The elder brother stands for the self-righteous who would rather have seen a sinner destroyed than saved. That's the attitude of it. He would rather see this undeserving one destroyed and punished than saved. In response to that attitude of the older brother, the father reaffirms his own lavish love, but now it's for both sons even though now neither of the sons deserves the response. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. I love, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Jesus leaves it at that. God, represented by the Father, lavishes love even on those of us who don't deserve it in any way. And those who hear this story, like the, other, the older brother, have to decide if we're okay with a God who is like that. Balanchine may very well have been a person who didn't want a God who was so scandalously gracious. In Balanchine's version, the father does not run out to the son. In fact, the father doesn't move a muscle, literally. He stands still with his arms crossed, and he doesn't actually even look at his son. He, he, he looks up into the distance beyond. The son... <laughs> crawls on his hands and knees to the father's feet, imploring God's, well, the father's forgiveness. And the father doesn't move, still doesn't engage even in eye contact. The son climbs up the father, wraps his arms around the father, wraps his legs around the father. He's imploring his father to forgive him. And I think, I don't even remember, I was so disgusted, I probably had closed my eyes by this point. I think that he, maybe the father finally sort of accepts the embrace of the, the wayward son. But this is the exact opposite, the exact opposite of what Jesus reveals about God in this story. God does not begrudgingly forgive only after we grovel at God's feet. God longs for us to return home and like any loving parent longs for their child to come home. God is there waiting, looking down the road to see if the child is coming home. God is, is waiting before we even turn around. God wraps us in this bear hug of warmth and love and celebrates when, this com- when we completely irresponsible, undeserving children come home. Jesus himself embodied this lavish love. 
God came to us in human form in Jesus Christ, even while we were still estranged. Jesus' heart broke and his guts wrenched with compassion for all of us undeserving people. Jesus, in lavish love, gave up his life that we might be able to enter into eternal celebration. Even when he was being executed, Jesus asked forgiveness for those who were murdering him. Jesus offers lavish love to all of us undeserving ones. But the question is, that Jesus leaves, us with, leaves with us is, what will we do when other undeserving people receive the lavish love of Christ? This story, by the way, of the two sons specifically puts Presbyterians, by name, puts the Presbyterians on the spot. The Greek word that translates to the older one, as in the older brother, is presbyteros. So even two millennia ago, Jesus was saying, Presbyterians, what do you think about this? As Presbyterians, we in no way of all denominations can get away from being challenged by this story. So when we understand this scandalously lavish love of God that embraces even those upon whom we might wish that God would actually not forgive them, that God might actually punish them because they deserve to be punished. When God decides to lavish love on them, are we willing to join the celebration? Are we willing to go inside our true home where the joy is or, we, or are we going to stay on the outside in our own self-righteousness? Christ lavishes love even on those who don't deserve it, who have done nothing to deserve it. As followers of Christ, we are called not only to come in and celebrate with any human being who comes home to God, but we are called as well to be out in the front yard searching on the horizon for anyone who looks like they're even thinking about coming home. And we are called to be quick to forgive and lavish love on all our brothers and sisters, even those who don't deserve it. And the truth is, none of us deserve God's love, God's lavish love. In our own ways, we've been both sons in the story. We have all too knowingly been selfish brats, done things our own way. We have also been bitter and spiteful to those whom God wants us to embrace. But even though we don't deserve it, Christ has run to us and embraced us with lavish love. Jesus welcomes us and brings us into the joy in celebration of the kingdom. Thanks be to God. Take thou our minds, dear Lord, we humbly pray.